right. What a great morning already. Thanks, guys, for working really hard and getting that power situation figured out. That was awesome. Uh, you guys, these, these guys kill it. Let's give it up for our production team. Man, they're so awesome. They, 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 I saw them over there conferencing and trying to figure out what was going on, and they're trying to figure out you know, what's happening and how can we fix this, and they got it done. So we have no glitching lights behind us, I think, for the message. Nobody's going to have uh, any epileptic seizures or anything here today, so that's good. Here we go. So let's jump right in. Today was going to be the last day of First Peter. Uh, we said that. We've said that a bunch of times. We had that in our planning center, and but we lied. Uh, so, well, well technically it's going to be the last day, I guess, because we're ending the series this week. But we're actually going to skip four verses today because we're going to come back to those four verses next week. All right, so we are skipping a couple verses. We're bringing them back next week because we're having a very special gathering where we officially install our elders here at Legacy City Church. And, and so the first four verses of today's text actually speak directly to church elders and shepherds. You know, what's awesome is we didn't plan that. We, we didn't plan that. Whenever we schedule all this stuff out, we schedule First Peter, and First Peter was going to end uh, today. And then next week, we were going to do our elder installation. And then after that, we've got a fun series called At the Movies that we're going to go into. You're going to hear a lot more about next week as well. And so we, we, we didn't plan for, uh, you know, chapter 5, verses 1 through 4 to be such an impactful uh, scripture relating to the installation of elders. Uh, but would you look at God? He worked that out, right? So uh, passage lines just right up with it. It's so good. So last week was so great. Uh, we had a great friend, uh, Pastor Daniel Magaha, come, and, and he was here talking about suffering. All right, now I felt like you have heard me and, and good old Peter here talk about suffering a ton over the past few weeks uh, while walking through this book. And so I thought it would be good to get a fresh perspective uh, to bring somebody else in to talk about uh, suffering a little bit so that you can hear it from somebody else and you're not always hearing about suffering from me. Uh, get a fresh perspective. And I hope that was encouraging. I thought he killed it. Uh, I thought he did such a good job. You can go back and listen to it. It's on, uh, if you go to our website, it's under like podcasts or sermons or something along those lines. And you can check it out there. Uh, it's really good stuff. He really got me thinking of what it means to live and endure well, right? To suffer well, to serve Christ well, to be loved well, to, to love well based on the gospel, to think much of his return. I think Peter uh, is writing not only to that first century church about uh, suffering that they will endure, uh, but and, and what it takes to suffer well and, and to suffer well and to fight well and to go against sin well and to really do community well. But I also think that he is saying something to, in fact, I don't, I don't think he's saying something to, I know he's saying something to Legacy City Church. Right? During, during this season that God has placed us in this city, we're only seven months old here, friends. And, 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 and listen, there are some things that the Lord is absolutely wanting to say today. I, I pray that you hear it. Um, I pray that, that you hear these things today. I want us to receive it with joy today. I want us to, to walk uh, in great humility with, with this text here this morning. And that's what we're going to talk about. Part of this is humility. I find it, without jumping like too far ahead and wholeheartedly into the text, I, I find it beautiful how Peter ends First Peter really speaking to the younger, the, the youthful crowd of the church. Because I think it relates so well to us. In our context, in verse 5, he closes out with, and to you who are younger, of the 80, 100, I don't know how many people are in this room of you who attend every weekend, this little church plant in this theater, uh, the most represented demographic is, is, believe it or not, 19 to 25-year-olds. That's the most represented demographic. The next age group represented, other than kids, of course, is 26 to 35-year-olds. 
So obviously, the demographics for our, our older generation, and I know age can be a touchy subject, so I'll allow you to determine what I mean by older in this context. And if it offends you, then that's not what I meant. So it's something else. I meant somebody else. But that age group is quite smaller. But I want to say this unequivocally, it's no less important. In fact, in many ways, and I would say this every day of the week, every day of the week, they are the backbone. The older generation is the backbone, the spiritual giants of our church. Come on, let's show some love for the older generation. Come on, you get, yeah. No, and listen, I'm not saying that. I want to praise the Lord for them. This is awesome. I don't want to say this to embarrass the older generations, which I recognize wholeheartedly that I am closer to now than I ever have been before. I don't say this to embarrass the older generations. I, I say this because I have genuine, heartfelt gratitude for those that the Lord has led to Legacy City. Hear, hear me, people. A church cannot survive without older and wiser people mentoring, discipling, empowering, and equipping the next generation. We need it. I know the music is what it is, and I know the style, the visual style is, you know, what it is, and maybe it's not what you're used to, but thank you sincerely for trusting God and for leaning into this ministry. You are needed, you are valued, you are loved. I just want to say that. All right, turn over to 1 Peter. Uh, we're going we're gonna to talk, we're, we're probably not going to come back to the younger thing. We may, may, we may touch on it, depends on uh, time here this morning, but... We're going to turn back over to 1 Peter chapter 5. Again, we're not going to be able to hit uh, all the verses 1 through 4. We're not going to do that this week. We'll come back to it next Sunday. But today we're going to focus on 5 through 14. And this series, if you're, if you're visiting with us, if you're newer here, we've been walking through this entire book, the book of 1 Peter. We've been kind of walking along sort of verse by verse and checking it out and, and, and trying to take everything out of it. It's been our summer series. I think this is week number 9 or 10, somewhere in that range in this series. So we've been hanging out in this book, and we're going to wrap it up today uh, as much as we can. Uh, but, but here's what's happening. Today we're going to be focused on, on verses 5 through 14. And, and in, this, in this passage, Peter is exhorting the church one last time, one last time, uh, it, that, that they need to stand firm, to remain steadfast. No matter the suffering that, that may come, remember, he wants them to remember that Christ died for you and then, and then, and then he rose again. All right, he died and then he rose again and he's coming back. So, so even though your tears might be flowing right now, laughter is coming in the morning. We said that weeks ago, joy is coming in the morning. I love being just like on the front row of ministry. Like where is a shepherd? I get to watch firsthand what's happening uh, kind of by the grace of God, either directly or indirectly in the lives of, of his sheep. So some of, some of you people in here I've walked with for years, others maybe I've just started walking with in the last few months. It's been a much briefer <laughs> walk. Nonetheless, to be able to see you from, from the front row, from, from the, the th this, this is all this is. This isn't me being up on a stage. I'm just on the front row right here. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just championing the voice of Christ here is what I'm trying to do for you. So just, just here on the front row, just being able to see God move in your hearts, to see God move in your lives is such a beautiful thing. There are those that we've seen and, and we've rejoiced in the fact that God has done incredible, life-changing work in your lives, in your hearts, in your families, right? We've rejoiced where he has delivered you, saved you, healed you. He has brought you and me out of the pit 
He's raised us up to a good place. He's put us in community. All right, the, the things that we used to do, our former lives are indeed our former lives, and there is new life in Christ in us. Come on, church, we get to see the beauty of changed lives here. That's, that's one of the great things about the local church. I get to watch that. I love that. It's, it's honestly exhilarating. Whenever, whenever I, I hear these stories of life change, when I hear these God stories, I just want to tell everybody and share it from the rooftops. I don't always because sometimes it might be a private thing and I can't do that. But, but I want to just let everybody know, man, God is moving. I get to watch these exhilarating moments in the lives of people, but also sometimes there's another side of it. We have our hearts ripped out. And church, you need to hear this. In 10 plus years of gospel ministry, of walking with a lot of people, of shepherding a lot of people, of serving most of my ministry here in the city, you also see people that used to be following after Jesus Christ. They were on fire for God. They were serving God they were loving his word. They were coming under authority. They were walking in humility. They were testifying to the Lord's goodness in their lives. But then, maybe it was because of, of some suffering situation or something came along uh, that, that, that just sort of shook them. It was too difficult. And, and, and maybe, maybe some of these people, they really believed in their heart of hearts that trusting in Christ would lead to a pain-free life. That trusting in Christ meant that there would be no more trial, no more struggle. And once they came to Christ, everything's going to be great. And that's just not the case. And I've walked with people that have left. They've denied. They've moved away from following Jesus Christ because of suffering. And others have moved away because there was opposition and ridicule laid upon them because of their trust in Jesus Christ. got some sound effects with me here. <laughs> Hear me when I say this. Nowhere in Scripture's church, nowhere in Scripture's church does it say, nowhere does it say, I, I just want to give it to you real, nowhere in the Bible is there ever the warrant or the promise that, that we will be loved by the world. Never does it say we're going to be glorified by the world, received by the world, taken in by the world, exalted by the world. Nowhere in these Scriptures does it say that. There are others who have walked away from Christ because they have chosen the immediate pleasures. All right, they've, they've chosen. This is what breaks my heart. This is why I preach the gospel to my own heart. Because, because there are people that have chosen the immediate pleasures of sin, and in doing so, over time, they've hardened their hearts to God. All right, they've hardened their hearts, and they can no longer hear from the Lord. And they've moved away from his gospel that they loved, and they proclaimed, and they professed. And now they've moved away from obeying Christ, and they've walked away. All right, that's the thing. These are the tragedies. These are, these are just as much as it's exhilarating to see the God stories. These are the things that break my heart, that keep me up at night. That's the wrestle with a shepherd, and an elder, a parent, that you suffer with at times. And Peter writes this because he comes to the very end of this letter, and he realizes, here it is, church, he realizes that, that there will be some, because of temptation, who will turn away who will grow weary, who will move away from God, who will step away from, from, from him and who will not stand firm, they will choose to run when things get tough. They will choose to run whenever the trials and the tribulations and the suffering come. They'll choose the broad path instead of the narrow path that leads to Jesus Christ. He writes this to his listeners. And I think he's saying this even to our little fellowship 
right here, church. This is why I want to preach this message today, but primarily because we're such a, a young faith community. I want you to hear these things, church, because I want us to endure well by the grace of God. Do you, do you hear what I'm saying? There are many who come out of the gate going, yes, yes, hooray for Jesus. This is awesome. Back in the 90s, people used to say, Jesus is my homeboy. Nobody says that anymore. Homeboy, I don't even think homeboy exists. It's probably not even a dictionary anymore. It's gone. But here's the thing. I want it to stay that way. I want us to keep that, that first love. I, want it, I don't want us to turn in difficult days and, and, and to run away. I don't want us to, to turn when we continue to suffer with recurring sin. I don't want us to run from the authority system that God has placed over our lives. I don't want us to run from the community that, that God's grace has provided for us. And instead, I want us to stand firm. I want us to, to stand firm in the Lord. I think Peter's exhorting us here to stand firm firm. That's the, if, if I've said it a dozen times, that's the title of the message this morning, Stand Firm. Let's read this in 1 Peter 5.5. 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Uh, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he might exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Verse 12, let's keep going. Uh, by Silvanus, a brother, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Verse 13, she, this is the church, who is at Babylon, this is meaning Rome, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Uh, peace to all of you who are in Christ. Why don't we give the kiss of love anymore? I feel like we should greet. Maybe, maybe that should be a new part of our host team. Just greet. We'll have a kissing booth, and we can greet with the kiss of love on Sunday mornings. Hey, it's scriptural. I mean, I'm just saying. It's in here. And it's you. Well, never mind. It's meant same gender, but let's keep going. Uh, he sums up his entire book in, in chapter 5 in verse 12. By Sylvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I've written briefly to you, here it is, here this church, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. This could be the summation of the entire book in one verse. This could actually just sum it all up. Everything that we talked about over the last nine or ten weeks, this could just sum it all up in one verse. He is exhorting and declaring uh, the true grace of God to these believers who are about to face some of the most intense persecution that they could ever fathom. There will be, in the days ahead, men and women who are going to be burned alive because of their faith in Jesus Christ. There will be, at this time, in the days ahead, people who will be impelled on top of poles and die a very slow and gruesome death all while lining the streets of Rome as some sort of macabre decor. Do you hear what I'm saying, church? The, the persecution that you and I face today is not this, but we do, I think we can face persecution. We can face humiliation of saying that we believe in Jesus Christ. People will try to humiliate us for that fact. You'll be considered irrelevant by some. 
You'll be shut down. You'll be mocked. You'll be laughed at. You'll have family who will deny you. Uh, you're you're going to have family who rejects you. This is very real in this country, and believe it or not, this is even real right here in our city. But I want to say to you, stand firm. Back in chapter 2, verse 24, we read this weeks and weeks ago. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. That is the true grace of God that he is affirming for his hearers right now. He says in uh, chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be God, be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's the true grace of God. Peter is shouting at us, right? He also says this in chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, he uses that phrase like three times, and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That is the true grace of God. Peter is exhorting us to stand firm, and that's what I want to say to you. I believe that's what somebody needs to hear this morning. Stand firm. When you lose your job due to downsizing or cutbacks, stand firm. When your car breaks down for the 11th time, stand firm. All right, when the, when the work week gets cut short and you only have enough money to pay either the power bill or the water bill, stand firm. When someone starts bullying your kid on social media for their beliefs or their looks or their clothes, you better believe I'm going to stand firm. When your loved one dies unexpectedly, you can stand firm. When your house gets foreclosed on and you've got to find a new place to live, stand firm. When you feel the bitter sting of betrayal from someone you love and respect, please, Peter exhorts us, stand firm. You might say, Robbie, how can we stand firm in all of these situations that, that, that just make our knees want to buckle, that make us feel like we want to run and hide, we want to go and just slip slowly into darkness and depression? How can we possibly stand firm? Because of the true grace of God. I'm about to preach on you for a second because I believe that, that, that God loved you and me so much that he sent his son, Jesus, to die on our behalf. He looked at us. He loved us. Before we were ever even born, he knew where we were, that we were coming, and he wanted Jesus to die for us so that we could have eternal life and he could have glory on his behalf. All right, you see, if you trust and believe in Jesus, that, then, then you know that, that you've allowed him to be the Lord of your life, and, and you know that your life is secure in him. You're planted firmly on the solid rock that is Jesus Christ. And, and listen, church, if you're planted firmly on the solid rock, the solid rock of true grace, and, and you're, you're planted there, then it's easy to stand firm because then it's no longer you who are just standing on your own. It's, it's God who is standing with you. It's the rock that you're standing on that gives you the firm foundation to be able to stand firm in this moment, in this time, in this situation. God is fighting for you. He's standing with you. He's moving on your behalf. The rock of true grace doesn't go anywhere. All right, if we're not on the rock of true grace, that means we've stepped off because that rock is solid. That rock is not moving. It means that we've stepped off the rock at some point. You want to know how to stand firm on the rock in the face of adversity? In light of suffering, keep your feet firmly planted in the truth and grace that is our God, and he will not let you down. Come on, somebody. I love the character of God. Look at your neighbor and tell him to stand firm this morning. We got to get you vocal. We got to get you talking a little bit. We got we to gotta break. I'm sweating. Got to break the tension in here. Here we go. I want to give you three things. I want to give you three things. And this was, this was a big undertaking to take on all of chapter five and, and one, one fell swoop. But, but I think we're going to get there. 
I want to give you just three things this morning as we walk through this text quickly that Peter wanted to be sure that the readers and hearers of this letter understood before he signed off. All right? The first thing is he wanted us to epitomize. He wanted us to epitomize humility. Yeah, you didn't know there'd be SAT words here this morning. I know. (laughs) What does that mean? Epitomize. To be the perfect example of. Now, of course, we cannot be a perfect example of anything because we're human. We're people. We, 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 we mess up. We're, we can't be the perfect example of, of really anything except, except failing, except sinning. Definitely not humility. But Jesus was the perfect example of humility. And we're supposed to imitate Jesus. Am I right? So why don't we just set the bar pretty high and epitomize humility? If Jesus was the the perfect example of humility, that's what we should strive for. We may not attain it, we may not make it, but that's what we should push for. It says in chapter 5, we're going to go back and read a little bit out of this. Kind of hit these as we walk walk down the line here, 5 and 6. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject. There's that word again. We talked about that that word subject a few weeks ago in 1 Peter chapter 3, if you were here with us. Uh, we talked about this idea of being subject. Uh, along with being subject to uh, anyone, there is a need for humility. If we're going to be subject to somebody, then we've got to be humble in order to, have, to be subject to somebody, correct? All right, so, so young people and, and older people, for that matter, understand that God has placed authority over your life, systems over your life, godly authority over your life, who are not perfect, mind you. We have a, a plurality of godly leaders who shepherd you and who are partners at Legacy City Church. And again, we're going to talk more about that uh, next week, and we're going to see that lived out more next week. But, but right away, Peter wants us to be humble by being subject to the authority that he's placed in our lives. He wants us to humble ourselves. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Just to finish that, that sentence, I realize I didn't do that. Uh, here's the thing <clears throat> that I love about youthfulness. And, 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 our, and our church, again, is, is full of them. Most of my ministry uh, has been given to the younger generations, and I, and I love that. I, I pray that God will continue to give me that. I, I just, I, I love young people. I have a heart for the next generation. Um, and, and, but here's the thing that I love about youthfulness here, here right, specifically at, at Legacy City, and I believe this is true. This is the blessing about youthfulness. It's vibrant. There's just this vibrancy in youthfulness. Right? I, I love the, the vibrancy that you guys bring. You know, in our youthfulness, we have this zeal and, and this love for the word. <clears throat> maybe you remember, maybe, maybe, maybe you remember, maybe you still have that zeal and that love for the word, but, but there's, there's this kind of this thing with being fresh in the word and, and being a young believer and, and, and just being youthful in general and, and still being able to like move all your joints and, and all these kind of things that, that, that just really get you going and, and you just, you have this zeal for the word and this love for the word. And I prayed that I would have that at 30. Now I pray that I'll have that at 40. I pray that I'll have that at 50. Young people, your passion and your love for for God and the word can move mountains. Do you realize, do you realize that, that movements of God actually begin with you, young people? Do you realize that? They, they actually be, they begin with you. Many of the great revivals that we've read about historically, God began them among youth. The first great awakening of the 1740s 
began among the youth. I think about the Second Great Awakening of the 1820s. I think about the Great Welsh Revival of 1905 with, with Flory Evans, who was just 13 years old, who stood and confessed, I love Jesus with all my heart. And God took that confession and began to do a work. A revival sprang out of that church and that one statement swept the nation. I love it, but also see the challenges in being a young church. Hear the challenges. Hear this. You can burn out quickly. You can be involved in 10, ministry, in ten ministries at, at once. <laughs> Sound familiar? Then your interests start shifting. It could be from week to week as to, to what you feel like God is calling you to. This week it's this. Next week it's that. It's, the, it's a challenge of, of part of our, our youthfulness here. Some might say a, a lack of focus. Some might say a lack of patience. And our youthfulness, what we want is everything God has for us now without understanding and giving ourselves the developmental process that God has established for us. Because there is a process. All right? There's a, there's a working. There's a method to what's happening. We want everything God has for us now. We want to be married now. We want to start having babies, not all of us, now. We want the adoption process to happen now. We graduate. I want a job right now. I want to know where I'm heading right now. I want all of my sanctification now. I want all these things today. I, I personally want to see us plant two more kingdom-minded, gospel-centered churches in two more communities. I want that now. But I have to wait on God's process and his timing. We all want what God has for us now instead of understanding that this is a process. And God will move us to the next step when it's time. Hear me, church. Uh, this is part of humility. Understanding that God is God and we are not. Learning to walk in that humility and trust that God has this figured out. That God has a plan. That there is a direction. It seems like it's doing this, but there's a direction. Let's look at this in verse 5. Uh, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves. We're never going to make it through this verse. All right, clothe yourselves. <clears throat> put on these clothes. All right, uh, put on this apron of humility around yourself. I don't know, when I think about what humility is, I think about, you know, I think about uh, cleaning up after people. I think about serving people. I think about, and so this idea just of, of an apron kind of, kind of came to mind. Put on this apron of humility. This is how we grow in Christ-likeness. We humble ourselves. Peter saw this in John 13. Whenever he saw Jesus uh, Christ, he, he watched him adorn himself in humility, put on this apron of humility when he washed the feet of others. Have you ever washed anybody's feet who have been walking around their entire life in sandals? Let me just say, I mean, I haven't either, but I can imagine here we go, Jesus Christ on his knees. We're talking about the King of kings, the Lord of lords, God in the flesh, Christ, the Son of God, washing others' feet. Most of you won't even touch, like, your, your kids' feet or your wife's feet. You're, not, you're just not touching feet. Here's Jesus washing other dudes' feet. Putting other people ahead of himself in humility, the perfect example of humility. He goes on, uh, clothe yourselves, all of you, not just speaking to young people, all right, speaking to all of us. Understand that. With humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Peter brings a little bit of a proverb here. This is uh, Proverbs 3. Brings it in at the end of the verse. <clears throat> 
one that should be, uh, that, that should honestly make epitomizing humility seem like the better option. All right, the way he lays it out here, it should make us feel like, okay, I have option A and I have option B. I have be humble or don't be humble, and it seems like being humble is the better option because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. I don't know about you, but I want grace from God. I, don't, I certainly don't want opposition from God. It's a simple choice when he puts it that way. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he might exalt you. I love this. The mighty hand of God paints such a great picture. It reminds me, it kind of takes me back to Exodus whenever God, whenever the, the, the Israelites were delivered by the mighty hand of God. And you can think about all the things that happened in that instance, in that time. You had the parting of the Red Sea, the crashing down and, and killing the Pharaoh's army. You had the pillar uh, of smoke and of fire that, that led them, the, the raining of, of, of manna from heaven. You had all these, <clears throat> all these things and the mighty hand of God was involved. I love the picture that that paints. This is an expression of God's power and his sovereignty. This is an expression of placing our lives under the beautiful, wonderful, mistake-free hand of God. The God who absolutely can't accomplish anything he wants. We can say, from underneath the hand, your will be done. We're giving it power. We're giving it authority. We're, we're granting God this is my life, take it. This is your life, take it. This is no longer my life, this is your life. But you can also be sure that humiliation doesn't last forever. A lot of times we don't, we don't, we don't take those two words and put them together. We don't take this idea of, of humility, of being humble. I mean, we think of that as a good thing. It's good to be humble. It's good to have humility. It's not good to be humiliated. Humiliation is not fun. <laughs> They're the same thing. It's the same, same word. They, they come from the same place. You, gotta, you can be sure from this passage, though, that humiliation doesn't last forever. It says that at the proper time, God will exalt you. Whether it's on this earth or, or on the last day, God will exalt you. First is humiliation, then comes exaltation. First we have to go low, and then God's going to take us high. We have to do that in our lives. We have to go low for other people. We have to, we have to be, be willing to be humiliated, accept humility, and then God promises that he's going to exalt you at the proper time. Whether it's in this life or, or whether it's in eternity, it doesn't matter. God's going to exalt you. That's so good. He goes on, he says this in verse 7, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. <clears throat> All right, I want you to hear this, church, because this is so important when you, for, for I think for us to understand this. This is what humility looks like, casting all your anxieties on him. Another language lesson for you. Uh, the participle casting, all right, modifies the main verbal phrase, the main verbal phrase, humble yourselves from verse 6. Now, I may have lost you. I get that. But here's what I need you to know. These aren't two separate verses. These aren't two separate ideas. See, a lot of times we break apart that and we say, cast your anxieties on God. Cast your worries on God. Cast your fears on God. And that sounds great. That's a good little soundbite. But honestly, this goes back. This is modifying the verse prior. Okay, you can't separate these two verses out. We like the idea of casting our anxieties on God because he cares. But we do not like to see that to, to have that anxiety and have that worry is actually to be prideful. 
Right? Worry is a form of pride because it's basically us taking our concerns on ourselves instead of entrusting our concerns and our worries and our anxieties to God. It's a form of pride. I wonder how many of us have been trapped in, in, this, in that cycle of pride because of our, our worries, our fears, our anxieties. He wants us to epitomize humility and cast those worries, those cares onto him. I'm talking about throwing these things down at the feet of Jesus. If we have to do it daily, then we throw it daily. This is, this is the messy kind of praying. All right, this is the faith-filled kind of praying. This is acknowledging at every moment, every day, that, Lord, I am not the solution to this issue. You are. You have, to, you have to move. You have to make things happen. You have to be the one. Church, we have to find ourselves here. He will exalt you. He will lift you up. He will bring you out of that in due season. Do you believe that, church? Number two, <clears throat> be a lion chaser. I know that we used that one a few weeks ago. But it's one of our core values, so we get to use it all the time. Plus, it goes so well with this passage in 8 and 9. Uh, this is huge. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. There is a devil who is real, church. This is a very real spiritual reality. There's a devil who hates you, hates the work of Christ, hates the work of grace in you, hates all the provisions that God has made in your life, the authority that God's placed over your life. He hates the community that God's placed you in. He hates the expression of forgiveness that God has granted you through his son, Jesus Christ. He hates all of that. The weapon he roars with more than anything else, I believe, because this goes with his name, he's an adversary, a slanderer, and a liar. He breathes lies into your heart and into my heart about what it really means to trust in God's provision for you through Christ. Do you hear that, church? He's constantly breathing these lies. I don't say that so you would fear him, because you shouldn't fear him. But you should be watchful. Be sober-minded, the word says. Open your eyes to the spiritual reality uh, that, that, that every day you and I and this faith community is being attacked by the enemy, by the devil, by Satan. We can call him by his name. We don't have to spend a lot of time talking about him because he's vanquished, he's defeated. But he's still out there. All right, for now, he's still prowling like a roaring lion, Peter tells us, waiting to devour. You see, I, I think about when, when Christians talk about the devil, <laughs> even that word, the devil, sounds so childish. When Christians talk about the devil, it's usually one or two things. It's, it's, it's either he's behind uh, every bush and he's under every bed, or we're going to ignore him altogether. Now, we don't have time to dive into Satan and demons or anything like that today, but know this, we are lion chasers. All right, when we came up with that, <clears throat> we came up with that, that core value, that phrase, it, it, it really meant two things. One is, is kind of going back to the story of Benaniah chasing the lion into the pit on a snowy day and killing him, striking him down. We talk about chasing big dreams, about doing big things for the Lord, and that was one aspect and one facet of that. Uh, but the other is because the enemy is referred to as a lion. And Matthew 16 tells us that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church of God, which tells me that we are attacking those gates. We are chasing that lion. We are staying sober-minded and being watchful so that we can resist the enemy when the time comes. Passage goes on, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. 
Church, you're not suffering alone. If you were suffering through something, a job loss, a death in the family, a bad relationship, financial struggles, illness, you're not suffering alone. There's a theater full of people here this morning that are all broken and have all suffered through something at one point in their lives. This should encourage us. Not only do we have God fighting for us, not only does he want us to entrust all of our worries and cares and anxiety onto him, we also have the people of God to turn to, the community that he's blessed us with. Then look at the very last thing he says in verses 10 through 11. <clears throat> After you suffered for a little while, because suffering is essentially guaranteed, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. I wish we had a little longer to cover a little bit more of this verse, but, but let me say this. God gives us five blessings here. That's number three if you want to write that down. Receive God's blessings. He lists them out. Restoration, confirmation, strength, and establishment. Yes, I said there are five, but I only said four. And if you're reading the same verse I am, then maybe you only see four because we tend to miss the first one. The first one is suffering. That's the first blessing is suffering. You see, church, we have to take suffering from the same hand that we take the other blessings from. We tend to leave that bit out, the, the after you have suffered for a little while. Church, listen to me. Suffering is a part of the plan. It's a part of the call and it's a part of the glory. Though it doesn't look like it or feel like a blessing, it absolutely can be. This passage tells us that God who called you will see you through to the end. He himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Stand firm because God is strengthening you through your trial. Stand firm because God is confirming your calling and your mission. Stand firm because God will restore your body. He will restore your loss, whether in this life or in the last day. You will be restored. And stand firm because he has established you on a firm foundation, a rock of true grace in God. I want to pray for us, and then we're going to worship some more this morning. If you need to talk or pray, I'll be in the, the middle section. I'd love to, uh, to chat with you. If you don't know Jesus and you want to have a conversation about that, I will, I will be glad to talk to you about that. I would love to have that conversation with you. If you just have something going on and you need some prayer, I'll, I'll be there as well. But uh, let me pray over us, and then we're going to worship some more this morning. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your servant Peter and, and everything he did and provided for us uh, through writing this letter with the guidance of the Holy Spirit. God, I pray that, that right now in this, in this room, in this theater, that, that you are still moving and still speaking, that, that, that maybe if none of my words were heard, then that's a good thing. Uh, if only your words were heard. Your scripture, your text, your, your, your word, your living word. And I pray, God, that if we're struggling with something in this space today, that we would stand firm. If we need the help of our brothers and sisters, if we need some people to rally around us and encourage us, then let's do that and let's stand firm. Let's stand firm in you and receive the blessings that you have for us. We love you so much. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.